Okay, welcome to episode five of Coaching Youth Football. Today, I'm really excited to have Ben Bartlett on the show, um, one of the best coach educators in the business. And if you haven't seen his content um, that's freely available online, I very much recommend that you do so. Ben, welcome to the show and thanks a million for your time today. To kick us off, could you just give us a brief summary of your coaching journey to date, please? No problem, Mike. Good to be here. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, I started coaching uh, in the mid-90s. Um, so, I guess, career coach. Um, played at Colchester United as a, as a schoolboy. Wasn't fortunate enough to make it as a professional footballer and then started coaching whilst playing uh, semi-professional football. Uh, coached in a community programme at Colchester United as well as in the boys and the girls excellence programme and was fortunate in the sense that I guess coaching wasn't an enormous industry then so I got to spend a lot of time practising coaching and uh, hopefully get a little bit better. Uh, certainly the girls excellence programme and the girls women's programme generated a, a bit of success and some interest in the sense that we took the women's team from playing in a uh, regional league to being in the National Women's Premier League um, and the development programme supported the development of some players that have gone on and played international football, Champions League football. Um, so I guess that programme is relatively successful, generates some interest and was consequently fortunate to go to Chelsea for a couple of years just as they were establishing their women's programme and sought to establish some foundations that uh, hopefully took that club forward on a good footing in terms of women's football. Um, 2007 uh, began 12 years at the Football Association uh, as a coach developer and that was sort of with the sort of foresight of people like Trevor Brookin and General Press, uh, more of a youth focused approach to coaching, which was largely used to, you know, to, to seek to certainly from a coach education perspective to transform some of the ways that uh, coaches might think about coaching. So I was fortunate to spend 12 years working in uh, in that environment, uh, supporting the development of some national coaches, working in professional football clubs, uh, delivering courses at St George's Park and also working to support the development of grassroots coaches. Uh, May of last year, 2019, uh, started the role of as head of coaching at Fulham Football Club, which I'm nearly a year into now and enjoying enormously, which is just working with the head of player development to try to stitch together a, a coherent uh, approach to player and coach development. Fantastic. Thanks for that, Ben. Um, how would you best describe your coaching philosophy? Great question. Um, probably to individualise. Um, I guess uh, probably early on in my coaching career, I was quite idealistic, had a view that the game should be played and coached in a particular way and probably had a tendency to try and, um, I suppose force probably isn't too strong a word, to try and force that upon any environment in which I worked with under the premise that the coach was king, they knew what was right and they should go about imposing that on the environment so that the environment was a better reflection of them perhaps as a coach. Um, I guess time uh, and hopefully some learning and education has led me to believe that there's a collection of different ways of doing stuff and probably the, the, the deepest underpinnings of what we should decide to do are probably our own value system and then probably the purpose of the environment that we uh, are fortunate enough to be coaching and existing in. Um, so I guess as a, as a kind of consequence of that, if you value particular things, that will probably inform the way that you see the world and probably as a consequence will inform the way that you coach. I think alongside that, it's probably also important to try and understand the value system and the beliefs of the people that you're working with, whether they're players, other members of staff, people that are involved in, in the running of a football club, committees, etc., etc., to try and ensure that we've got some kind of coherent and well understood uh, uh, element of, of each person that's in that environment that informs the way that we coach. I guess as a consequence then how we coach should probably be matched with what the purpose of the environment is. If the purpose is, uh, for an example, in an academy setting to take players 
uh, into a first team, uh, then I guess development probably becomes a main part of the purpose and most of the decisions that you make should probably be to support the development of players in line with the way that your club or perhaps the overall game perceives uh, they should, should be developed. I guess if you're in a grassroots setting and the environment is very much geared towards providing an enjoyable experience for young players, uh, for ensuring that young people continue to play football, that will probably adapt or subtly shift the way in which you think about coaching. Similarly, if you're working in a first team environment and your focus is on winning, uh, to maintain success, uh, to see players progress, to see yourself stay in a job, then again, it may be that you should probably think a little bit more about how you want to uh, approach your coaching and how you want to interact with the players. Um, I guess then alongside that, my approach to coach development would be to try and better understand the person that's in front of me and the demands of their environment and then consequently decide if and how uh, and, and if supported with the opportunity to support how you may go about supporting those people. Yeah, I love that idea of um, individualise. Um, and I've got some questions for you on that um, later, certainly. Um, it seems slightly strange to be talking about um, individuals and coaching um, when we're all stuck at home through this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and for somebody that's football um, crazy like me, uh, it's been a struggle to not only stay in and not be involved in live football, but to not even be able to watch it on the television. Um, obviously, bigger things going on in the world. And um, pales into insignificance, but um, I guess you, I always like to look on the positive side of situations. And um, one of the bright sides um, of this um, downtime is that I get to speak to um, fantastic coaches like you about football. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, and secondly, um, it's given us more time than we're probably ever going to get again um, to plan. So um, if coaches are at home and they've got now got potentially months before they can get back on the grass and then months again after that before next season starts, could you give us an insight into the process that you might use during this time to review what's gone before and plan for the future, please? Yeah, um, very much agree with everything that was said there. Um, we, I suppose there's a couple of things. Uh, in the time at the association, we uh, managed to make some shifts in the way that coaches were assessed. Uh, so that coaches were able to start to individualise their journey and that their learning and education was hopefully a better reflection of the demands of their environment and a re better reflection of them as a human being. Um, the England DNA was broken down into five areas, which is uh, who we are, how we play. The third one was the future player, so the qualities of the players in your care and perhaps some of the characteristics that you might like to develop in them. Four and five was how we coach and how we support, which was to try to support and develop some, uh, some I guess, alignment between the purpose of our environment, which is who we are, the way we want to play the game of football and who the players are in their care. Coaches were then established across the duration of the course, uh, which again we managed to move to a sort of iteration that occurred across at least sort of nine months to a year, effectively the period of a season to enable people to make sense of their work and develop it over a longer period of time rather than being need to be seen of the master of one event to pass a particular qualification. Um, sought to take those principles to, to my current job and we work with coaches to try to develop a season plan which looks at how the age group and the club of Fulham want to play football, uh, who the players are that are in your care, so what are the characteristics of those players and what are some of the things that you might want to support their development of within those players. Uh, and then the third part is, is I guess, the environments that that style of plan as individuals are going to be exposed to. Um, and we will try to work with the coaches to try and identify a style of football, what's, who are some of the individuals under your care and the ways that you might work with them 
and as a consequence what environments are you anticipating that they might be exposed to across the next nine to twelve months and as a consequence how might you think about coaching um, I, I think those principles are fairly universal I don't think they're universal in terms of the way that they play out but I think they're universal in the sense of young people or people come to play football um, and they, as a consequence of that, they get exposed to playing against a particular type of opposition. They get exposed to playing on a particular type of pitch, uh, in particular weather, uh, with parents, uh, coaches, players that behave in a particular way. And I guess what we would hope coaches would do is have some kind of uh, idea in their mind about the way they want to play football, um, whether that looks like Liverpool, uh, whether that looks like Wimbledon uh, of a previous age. Uh, whether that looks like Atletico Madrid and I think sometimes we can become quite pure in the way that we see the game and I'm, in no way am I suggesting that's a bad thing but I think we probably need to be perhaps more responsive to the people in our care and then understand how we might play uh, and I think as a consequence of that then we can then decide how we may go about coaching uh, so far be it from me to tell coaches what they should be doing but during this period of time there is perhaps an opportunity to think about how they see the game being played out for their team or for their club who the players are that are in the specific care of each of their coaches or of, of themselves as a coach and what they think the season coming forth might look like in terms of the type of opposition that they're going to play, how successful their team might be, type of environments and tournaments etc etc that those players are going to be exposed to and as a consequence deciding how to coach. Yeah thanks for that. A um, couple of questions just to come out of, of that while you were talking I was thinking um, how would you um, how would you kind of separate or or even how would you mix the the overarching syllabus that you may uh, deem necessary for an age group with the needs of the individuals underneath that age group? Um, so let's say for argument's sake, you were planning um, a syllabus of learning for the new in, input of under eights for next season um, and you haven't even met those under eights yet. Let's say they haven't been scouted. You don't know who they are. So you don't have any individual... Um, uh, information to work on at this stage would you perhaps still work on a framework um that would look at the style of play as you mentioned um that would look at uh, the environments that they're going to be exposed to um the coaching staff that they're going to be working with them and, and would you be able to do you think put together a framework um that's more general at this stage and then perhaps individualize it once the players are recruited yeah, yeah, uh, interesting. Um, I'm not sure I'd be, certainly with a new group of under eights, A, with players that I've not had a great deal of experience of spending time with and B, with players of that particular age group, whether I would be too uh, strategic uh, about the way I would approach A, the tactics of the game of football and B, the specific ways that I might go about coaching them. Um, I guess the, the probably um, way I would think about supporting them to learn to play football is just making sure that they keep coming back uh, and I guess there's probably a decent chance of them keep coming back if a they find it enjoyable and b that the stuff that we expose them to is probably at, at a level that a they can achieve uh, and that b just stretches them perhaps a little bit past what they can currently achieve uh, I'd also think probably you know, most people when they play football like to play games, certainly when you're engaging with seven and eight year olds and certainly with the modern day seven and eight year olds of all of the other things that they've got to attract their attention, the more enjoyable and game-like that practice and competition can be, probably the better, uh, the more supportive uh, and friendly that the coaches can be, 
uh, again, probably the better, the more as much as we possibly can, can spend time getting to know them, getting to know their parents, making the environment feel warm, making it feel supportive, making it feel as if it's learning to understand um, some of the characteristics of those young people, um, probably the better. And again, over time, that would probably become the syllabus. Uh, I think when we're talking about playing games, I would never say never with under eights about playing too much 7v7 and 8v8, but again, much of it would probably be smaller numbered practices, 1v1, 2v2, 3v3, and then variations of that 1 versus 2, 2 versus 1, 3 versus 2, 2 versus 3, so that yes, they are dealing with the tactics of the game of football on probably more of an individual basis rather than the larger perceived tactics of the football, that, sorry, of the game of football that come with playing. Uh, I don't know, 4-4-2 versus a 4-3-3 and some of those things that perhaps can be um, overimposed on uh, young people when they're at a very young age. Because um, I guess we want them to learn about the tactics of football, but probably alongside the techniques. And the fewer numbers that you've got on the pitch, the more touches they're likely to get, uh, the more variety of those type of touches they're likely to get as a consequence of who they play with and who they play against. And some of the subtleties that we can do is perhaps sometimes plan on different size pitches, sometimes the coach being quieter, sometimes them being noisier, uh, sometimes plan for longer periods of time, shorter periods of time, mixing up who they play with and mixing up some of the challenges that they're exposed to. And that would probably be the best way to think about a syllabus for, for under eights, certainly in the short term. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'm, um, it's a slightly selfish reason for asking that question, actually. So um, at Sutton, I, I coach the under-13s or next season's under-14s, um, one of them anyway. Um, but I'm looking, um, as a committee member for the boys section, I'm looking to try and put something in place to support the coaches and players that will be joining us next year as under-7 coaches and under-7 players. So I've been thinking as um trying to put together a framework that can be planned in advance around um making it really fun as you mentioned lots of touches of the ball um lots of one ball one player type games um as players tend to be more individual and selfish at that age and want you know want lots of touches of the ball um, ball mastery 1v1s 2v2s um trying to incorporate things like transitions into into games um and just from my own experience of when i was coaching under sevens things that um in that golden age of learning, as the FA call it, trying to get um, players to scan and perceive what they're scanning uh, and to use both feet. Uh, if I look at some of the boys I coach now that I've had since they were under sevens, um, they're more two-footed than perhaps some of the boys that I may have signed later on and were coached elsewhere. So it's kind of, um, I think those those things, if you can get them, get them early and get them to be habit are really important. So I guess what I'm trying to think about is how do I take those things that I think are quite important, irrespective of the individual player, and put them into a into a framework that can then be individualised once the under-7s are actually recruited. Um Anyway, so moving on to my next question, Ben, um, there, there's obviously two types where well, there's many types of coaching, but um, there, there's episodic and periodic coaching. Um, and episodic is typically in reaction to something that's happened, um, broadly speaking, um, I would I would say. And periodic is a more sort of thought out, structured, longer term plan. Um, if you're a grassroots coach and you've got a full time job and this is something you do as a volunteer, obviously trying to um, find the time. Um, to to um, put together a um, a periodic sort of well thought out season long plan can be tough, um, but what would you say um, were the key benefits of sort of taking that time and making sure you put together um, a season long plan uh, for each of your players? Yeah, um, 
I guess probably the amount of time that you have available to invest in the, the sort of planning process will probably inform the degree of detail in which you uh, you would you would delve into. Um, I think the the benefits of being more thoughtful uh, is possibly at the beginning of the season it gives you an opportunity to interact with the players, with parents if if they're underaged players, uh, with anybody else that's involved in the club to say, look, these are the things that we think might be important this season. What are your views? How can we build something that's going to become a reflection of a collective perspective on how we want the game to play out? And how can we make sure that every session, every game, uh, every, I guess, episode, uh, we can sort of hold each other to, to, to account, challenge each other the degree to which we're doing what we said was important. Um, that doesn't necessarily need to be periodic in the sense that we know exactly what the what the practice looks like that we're going to be doing in seven weeks time or, or 21 weeks time because I don't even necessarily know that that was that would be a sensible way of being able to respond to the players as they develop but I think at the beginning of the season you could say our purpose for this season is this these are the things that we won't sacrifice in pursuit of that purpose and these are some of the ways that we're going to go about trying to achieve it I think from that you can probably start to get into maybe the type of formation that you might play assuming that's important uh, the type of positions that the players might get exposed to, uh, any processes that you might agree on about how you will choose the starting six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven players every single week to ensure if it's important to your club that minutes are shared out, the opportunities to start are shared out, that positions that people will be exposed to around the pitch will be evenly distributed, that things like planning a cup competition, assuming there's more than one, players will get the opportunity to experience those things as well as playing the league. Uh, and I think if we can lay those things out and have relatively broad agreement and acceptance across whoever's involved in the club from the outset, I think that's probably a really good starting point. If you've got more time, some of the detail that you might go into might start to look at what coaching practice will look like. How will you, if it's an hour a week, if it's two lots of one hour a week, whatever the period of time that you've got uh, access to, how some of those things might play out type of activities that the young people like to be involved in. How do we get a balance between that kind of purposeful, uh, really trying to support players to learn versus trying to ensure that most people that come to football, particularly in the grassroots setting, are doing it principally for enjoyment and finding that kind of, I don't even know that it needs to be tension because I think often they can be reciprocal, but finding that reciprocal relationship between supporting players to get a little bit better, which can often enhance their enjoyment and making sure that it is just inherently enjoyable anyway, that when they turn up, they look forward to coming. They know they'll be greeted by friendly faces and they know the activities that they're going to be engaged in are going to be positive. And I think if a coach can have some just general principles about those things that are shared and agreed with the players, that's probably going to support a more kind of uh, periodic, well thought out, coherent approach that people can align their behaviour to week in, week out. And certainly if they are rushing from a day job and they've got 20 minutes in the car to get there, it's just a case perhaps of resetting those things. Stuff that I've seen coaches do is just have a card, a laminated card in the car that say these are the four commitments that we made at the beginning of the season. If you do nothing else on the way to training, just recognise that you're going to be positive. Uh, you're going to play stuff that looks like the game and you're going to give children equal opportunity to enjoy playing in the session. They can just be things that steer your thinking when perhaps you're charging from place to place. Okay, so I think that's um, that's really important. I think, isn't it, for in the grassroots um, level to sort of think about what it is that you stand for and what it is you're trying to achieve. Um, if we take a um, take a view, let's go forward 15 years. So the year of recording this is 2020. Uh, let's go forward to 2035, and 
And of the th- sort of tens of thousands of under sevens players that are playing in a grassroots program somewhere in our country today, uh, in the year 2035, we might see 20 or so of them playing for England um, at first team level. We might see 100 or so of them playing in a professional club at first team level. Um, we might see a thousand or so of them playing semi-professional um, at a first team level and thousands more hopefully will still be active and playing the game for fun recreationally um, recreationally even um, at whatever level um, they found. So let's come back to 2020. Um, some parents and players want their child to have the best chance of being a professional footballer, of course. Um, and if they're not in an academy, they're likely playing a good standard of grassroots football. So if you're in a grassroots club and you um, you have a good standard of players um, uh, within your club, I think there's many ways that you can see success, isn't there? You could be developing purely for a lifelong participation and love of the game. Um, and I would um, I would sort of um, say that that's the, the minimum that you would want to um, to achieve. You could be developing for your own first team um, if, if you have a, a first team or for somebody else's first team. You could be developing for pro academies um, or you could be developing the sort of future player for, for England. Um, as Gerard Houllier once said, um, if you... If you aim for the moon, you might land among the stars. But just interested on your view on, on um, if you were dropped into a grassroots club tomorrow, what what would you what would you see as success, Ben? And and what do you think that you would be developing um, with for the long term? Yeah, good question. Um, I guess the predicting of the future bit is almost impossible, um, and certainly not something that uh, you know someone of my limited status would be would be uh, suggesting anybody should be uh, pursuing. Uh, I guess. Probably what will happen in the future will be a consequence of what we do now. Um, so I guess if we're quite thoughtful about what we do now that, and, and perhaps we do it in a way that's genuinely responsive to just human nature and to positive development, then there's a decent chance that the future will look even more positive than the present does. Um, if, if I was uh, back into a grassroots environment, Principally, I don't think I would approach it any differently than I am in my current environment or in the environment I was in previous, which is as much as possible to flex towards whatever it is you understand is important to that particular environment and add value to it, because there's a really good chance that that environment existed before you went there and there's hopefully a really good likelihood that it will exist beyond your time there. And I guess that kind of cliche about leaving it a little bit better than when you started. So. In any environment, I would probably spend in as much time as possible speaking with as many different uh, stakeholders of that club as possible, players principally, parents, coaches, uh, anybody else that's involved in the operation of that club to find out the things that are fundamentally important to them and then fundamentally seeking to align my behaviour with those things. Uh, I think in most senses, whatever your aspiration is, certainly when you're in the formative stages of your experience whether that's because you're young or whether that's just because you've just embarked on planning a grassroots setting that you've probably got greater likelihood of achieving some longer term outcome whether that's playing professionally whether that's planning the first team at that club whatever the aspiration is if perhaps you engender a lifelong love of the game because i'll keep if, I guess if we engender that in people, there's a decent chance that they'll keep coming back week on week, that I as a coach will then get the opportunity to support their development and to continue to build on that. There's also a likelihood that if they really enjoy football, that they'll hopefully practice beyond any time that we spend with them, because hopefully their love of football will transcend the time spent at that particular club. And I guess fundamentally, the more they practice, the more they enjoy the experience that they're being exposed to. And then as a consequence, perhaps the more that we 
you know, consciously coach them and help them think about their own behaviour to try and affect some positive change, probably the greater likelihood we've got of achieving whatever it is our stated objective is. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think um, I, I saw a great quote yesterday on a, a, an FA webinar, actually, and um, embarrassingly, I can't remember who the quote was by, but it said, as many as possible for as long as possible and as good as possible. And I think that really um, sort of encapsulates everything that you can achieve. It could take as many players playing for as long as they can and at the best level that they can. And if um, that that's going to look different for every player um, in your care, um, and, and, and as you say, if you make a positive impact on each player, um, hopefully you'll keep as many of them as possible going for as long as possible um, and to the level that they're um, capable of achieving. Um, ben, we're running out of time, sadly. I could literally speak to you all day about football. Um, is there anything um, that you'd like to finish on in terms of sort of long-term planning and using this enforced period of downtime um, to, our, to our best advantage? As much as possible, probably stay in touch with the people that are under your care. Um, I mean, this kind of enforced downtime for some people where I guess the environment that they live in is is loving, is supportive, is uh, has enough space and opportunity in it that people can kind of endure this period without too much pain and difficulty. I guess we've probably all got people, whether they're colleagues, whether they're players, uh, whether they're parents who probably face their own challenges and the extent to which we can retain some kind of human contact with them as frequently as is feasible uh, to make sure we get an understanding of the challenges that they're facing and even further strengthen the relationships that we have with those people, which will probably benefit us whenever we return to something that resembles normality and hopefully get back to enjoying football again. Yeah, I think that uh, understanding each environment is really important. We were talking about this um, collectively on a webinar just the other week, weren't we, that um, some people might have to um, might have a huge garden and footballs and um, big house and loads of space, as you say, and other people might have to practice in their living room um, on a fifth floor flat, um, you know, living in a in a very tight space and on top of each other. So it's important to understand what each of those environments looks like. I think as coaches, typically we know where we're going and what our environment looks like and what equipment we're going to have to plan. But when we're trying to plan activities, which I'm sort of doing at the moment for, for players that are at home, there's so many more things that we need to consider uh, before doing that. Ben, thank you again uh, very much for your time today. I've really enjoyed it. Um, best of luck with um, working from home and uh, for the season ahead. Um, and uh, hopefully I'll talk to you very, very soon.